This is Free Talk Live. We'll give you the toll-free call-in line here in just a moment where you can call in and bring up whatever is on your mind. And, of course, we bring things to the table. The we in studio tonight is Daryl. And Heather. And Chris. And we're going to start off on something that might be a little controversial. Uh, Only because there are a lot of people that think that this particular individual is like the world's greatest libertarian because he's like a multi-bazillionaire and he owns this company and he makes a lot of money and it's you know, almost, he, he said a libertarian thing that one time. It's almost deification. It, it, it literally is putting this guy almost on a godlike pedestal. I, I would agree to some extent. And there are several people that, you know, the... Uh, description that i get just gave i would say there are several people that that could describe we are not talking about peter till we will however be talking about elon musk yes elon uh and apparently uh there's a claim that tesla actually does not make any money well, it's more than a claim. Uh, it's actual fact, and we're going to get into that story. Uh, this comes to us from Zero Hedge. Elon Musk bills Tesla as the pinnacle of lean manufacturing. Just search for pictures of Tesla's manufacturing plant, and you'll undoubtedly be served up futuristic-looking images like the one below depicting and- hundreds of red robots building vehicles without a single employee in sight. Hold on, hold on. That is not true. I do see an employee in this photo. <laughs> the guy driving the, the guy uh, driving the forklift. <laughs> yeah, I do see that too. That there's and let me describe the picture please for those people uh listening at home or on the road wherever they may be. It's a picture of an assembly line and all of the workers and i'm using air quotes around that that are working on the assembly line are robots it's you know just this line of cars probably half a dozen or so is what you can see in the picture yeah and on each side of the car is a red little uh mechanical robot thing And then off to the side, on the left-hand side, you do see a forklift with a forklift operator. (laughs) That is the only human that I can identify in this photo. Yeah, and I I think the purpose of this introduction is sort of that that mythical belief that, you know, uh, Elon Musk has developed manufacturing, has improved manufacturing to a point where... You know, we can do this stuff more efficiently than anyone else. Right. And, you know, there's not necessarily anything wrong with being efficient. There's not necessarily anything wrong with finding ways to make more product using fewer resources. No, I I, I applaud that. Mm -hmm. Heck, that's what I do in my small business. It's what everybody does. To Mm -hmm. some extent... Henry Ford sort of created this process. Sure. The assembly line. Yeah, he revolutionized uh, Mm -hmm. manufacturing. I I don't know if he created the assembly line, but he certainly wound up making it uh, sort of the norm for automobile creations. Right. And he did that through demonstration. He didn't do that through regulation or anything else. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? He, He 
saw a process, which I think had been used to some extent. I don't in think other regulation industries. has ever um, led to innovation. I'll put it that way. Oh. I think innovation is thinking outside the box, right? So there's no limits. There's no restrictions. Like you're doing what nobody's done before. So if you regulate something that's based on, you know, previous what's been previously done. So you can't really expand when you regulate. Well, to a degree, I, I will say there is a case to be made for improvements being revolutionary and re- improvements to c- processes that have been around for a long time being innovative. And oftentimes that's what it is. I yeah. often look at the paperclip, the paperclip, the guy who got the, I'm going to get the numbers wrong. Somebody please correct me. Somebody please Google this. But the patent, when the guy who invented the paperclip sold, he sold it for like, you know, $40,000 or something like that. Okay. And then the but the guy- paperclip was not invented because of a regulation to where the federal government said you were no longer allowed to use staples. Oh, I'm not not going there. But what I am saying is, is there was another patent. Have you ever noticed that some staples have little serrations on it that hold the paper better? They have those little grooves in them. Maybe, yeah. I <laughs> never looked that closely That's at a okay. staple. If you look at a paper clip, some of them are completely smooth and some oh, of them I have little lines. I do know what you're lines. talking about. You I do know paper, what you're talking about. You, you said, said staple, staple initially. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, paper yeah. clips. Yeah, uh, but the the maybe it's an urban myth, I don't know, but allegedly that patent sold for millions of dollars because it was such a great innovation. So uh, regulation <laughs> de- never leads to innovation, but innovation Correct. can improve upon it can either be something completely new or can be an improvement on a current processor or product certainly and we'll get back into this article in just a moment your thoughts are welcome 855 450 free let's first go to skype where we've got daniel calling in daniel you're on free talk live go ahead with your thoughts yeah I'm engineer Daniel Alexander. I'm a computer engineer. Indeed, I have a bachelor in computer systems and networks. And my main concern right now is download.com, which is owned by CBS. But also, we at Apache Foundation, which is the main, the main two dudes of Apache Foundation, is, of course, Richard Stallman, which dispensed any commentary. So and, what, uh, what's, we, what are the concerns on. about the website download.com? Oh, well, is uh, well, the first dude that uh, made me aware of the huge problem that it constitutes, there are, there are actually 12 or 14 websites pretty much like download.com, but uh, the first dude that made me aware was Steve Gibson from Security Now. He works for Tweet TV with Leo Laporte. Um, the problem is that you can basically inject code uh, with with the power that money allows you to corrupt. Uh, basically, when you install any software from download.com, any software, any, and if you work, you will probably have to at some point during the day to install a little app from download.com. If you work, uh, you are basically selling your body and your soul to an email that you have no idea who is owning, and it 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 literally can with a piece of code, with the injecting a piece of code, it can literally do something like this: as you hang up your Skype call, you are connected to the internet because you cannot make Skype calls without being uh, connected to the internet. As you hang up, uh, in between uh, calls, everything that you strike, every keystroke on your keyboard, even when you are offline. 
is stored somewhere in in a file in a cache of the computer. And when you you hang up your call, uh, screenshots taken every ten minutes of what is on your computer and every keystroke on your unless you have the best the best anti-logger in the world, which by the way, is the name of the character of Matrix Neo. That is loved by Yuri Geller. He loves um, the Matrix, the Neo, the 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 Keanu Reeves. So, Chris, you, you're a bit of a uh, you know computer guy. Uh, yeah, uh, do we you know anything about? Do, do you know anything about this uh, vulnerability in Skype that logs everything you do? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me because Microsoft bought Skype and well, Microsoft actually, sounds up. But it sounds like what you're saying is is that this is something that's being injected. Should you download it from download.com? If you if you install any software from from download.com or, yep. or from there's file Ipo and there's a few twelve or fourteen that look very much like download.com. You are just selling your body and your soul to an email that you have no idea who owns. It's like Rihanna Rihanna doesn't own the, the domain Rihanna.com because she's very intelligent. She doesn't know who owns it and she's not willing to pay three million or four or four or five million to someone that she doesn't know. He may be willing to do the next uh, casino online or he may be doing uh, something. So that sounds like a domain but squatting we are, we are problem. We are geeks from a past foundation. We want to make Microsoft Microsoft Free Software Foundation, part of the Apache Foundation, with the licenses issued by Richard Stallman, which is the only guy we trust on Earth. Excellent. Daniel, thank, thank you. you for the call. Your calls and thoughts welcome. 855-450-FREE. This is Free Talk Live. 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. Your calls and thoughts welcome. In studio tonight, it's Daryl. And Heather. And Chris. And Bitcoin.com is the most unique online destination in the Bitcoin universe. You want to buy some Bitcoin? Well, it's on sale right now, and Bitcoin.com can tell you where to buy. You want to speak your mind to other Bitcoin users? Their forum is always open and censorship free at forum.bitcoin.com. There are no bigger believers than the Bitcoin.com team. That's why this site is a one-stop shop for everything you need to get into Bitcoin life. You can also play games using Bitcoin at games.bitcoin.com. Learn more at bitcoin.com. That's bitcoin.com. We're talking about, or rather we began the show talking about Elon Musk. The uh, and I think, Chris, you're the one that said there's a lot of people that sort of deify the man yeah. as some sort of uh, libertarian deity because he said a few libertarian things that one time. But what's interesting is I think uh, Elon Musk gets deified by sort of all political corners. So I you look at at the left. The left deifies him because he, he makes is, electric cars. He does. He's promoting green energy and the right will deify him because look, he's privatizing space. I mean, that's that's good. We get some of these things out of the hands of big government, and we put it in hands of the private. He wants to go to Mars. Right. And then you have libertarians. It's like, okay, great. 
we can finally colonize Mars and make it a libertarian oh paradise. We can finally get out of Somalia. When I went to the Free Your Mind conference in Philadelphia, there were some people there talking about like colonies on Mars and stuff. And, uh-huh. But they weren't just and? talking about colonies on Mars. They were talking about all kinds of crazy stuff about like reptilian people and like this. Are the reptiles currently on Mars? No, they're here apparently and they like shape shift <laughs> and they're like walking amongst us. And like, I don't know if somebody thought Hillary Clinton was one of them. And I'm like, dude, thought. have I been living I'm under a rock? Her. Because I'm not connecting any of the dots <laughs> at this convention. Yeah, that's a deeper level of uh, conspiracy theory than I usually <laughs> get into. But I'm familiar with the whole uh, the, the grays and the reptilians and, and everything else i don't know what i don't know what you call elon what i call him is a crony capitalist and that makes me unpopular he's definitely a cronyist because you know a lot of the things that he does would not be profitable absent all kinds of government incentives and i mean i uh, might consider tax breaks and i might consider moving to mars if the like property taxes were low that's a good point but back to Elon, and, and yes. we, we just basically described this photo that they lead off the story with of this vast factory filled with robots and only one human that Daryl and I could find in sight, guy driving a forklift. Yep. But th- this, again, the photo was described as being the pinnacle of lean manufacturing. Correct. The pin- pinnacle of what? Lean, lean manufacturing. Right. Few people. But if Tesla is truly the lean manufacturing powerhouse that it purports itself to be, then we do wonder why it continues to burn through $600 million of cash every single quarter or roughly $30,000 for every car that it sells. So let's just uh, break that $600 million every quarter down. A quarter is three months. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which means they are spending two hundred million dollars per month. Over. <laughs> well, yeah, no, you are. Wait, so you're saying Tesla two. spends thirty thousand dollars for every car that it sells? It's it's burning through that much cash. Oh wait, so they're then how are losing. they profiting? They are losing. So th- this is not just their. Uh, expenditures. This is their deficit. This is the deficit. And that's correct. How can they do this, Heather? If they're they're not profitable. Have they filed bankruptcy? No. Why would they have to? Because they're spending more money than they're taking in? You yeah. forget that Elon Musk to date, and this is a ballpark figure, has received somewhere around four point nine billion dollars, billion with a B yes. dollars from all you taxpayers that are listening right now. billion has flown from Washington to Elon Musk's secret volcano lair, wherever that happens to be. And it's used to prop up these industries, these companies that are not profitable. So I'm going to continue with the article because we'll get into this a little bit. Um up, and I'm trying to find my page. We got a big skip here. I just Perhaps read online, they, he was his net worth was like seventeen point six billion dollars or something like that. Absolutely. Where did that come well, and, from? <laughs> you know, a lot of times when you see these, uh, you know, businessmen with these huge net worths, you have to remember very little of that is liquid. Yes, and meaning in, that 
Oh, yeah, it's true. stock valuation. There's it's also assets. human capital in that, too. Well, no, it's specifically in Elon's case, it's stock. And we're going to talk about that in this article because it plays right into that. Stock and then, again, assets. So he's sure. got these houses. He's got this private jet. He's got sure. these spaceships. True. Which probably become to, belong to the companies, but God, it's I've his stock that's a, a big spaceship. thing. Perhaps this anomaly has something to do with the one fact that, as Automotive News points out, Tesla's real cap- uh, capacity problem has nothing to do with the size of their manufacturing facility, but rather the staggering number of people they're using to build their cars. Hold on. The staggering number of people? There's one person in this photo. In that stock photo put out by Tesla, which they love to put out there. And, they love to show this picture. Yeah, you know, I well, let, let's... Think well, about this for a second. Oh, I'm going to get into the specifics of this, Daryl. We'll we'll talk about it. Let me throw some numbers out there, okay. and then we'll have something to talk about. Yeah. The 5.3 million square foot uh, feet of uh, manufacturing space that Tesla now occupies starts off, started off as a joint operation between General Motors and Toyota, which began in 1984, and was intended to help the Japanese automaker learn about doing business in America and teach GM the principles of lean manufacturing. 20 years ago, the plant pumped out over 350,000 new cars every year, or roughly 74 vehicles per worker. Meanwhile, Tesla, the, quote, pinnacle, unquote, of lean manufacturing, with a 20-year technology advantage, somehow only manages to build somewhere between 8 to 14 cars per employee. Whoa, 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 wait a second. <laughs> wait just one cotton-picking second. I'm looking at this picture, and there ain't a whole lot of people. Now, it, granted, in you know, that picture, granted they have to have people that you know know how to fix the robot should the robot wind up you know breaking down. But that number of one car, or rather eight to fourteen cars per employee. Sounds like a number that you would expect from Rolls-Royce to where these things are painstakingly hand-built by, you know, the finest uh, employees or, you know, the number of watches that come out by Rolex where, you know, they take, you know, what is it, like 14 virgins, 72 years to put one of these things together. (laughs) Something crazy like that, but we'll we'll get into a little bit more detail and it kind of becomes apparent. Eight to 14 cars per employee. That doesn't sound lean at all. What do you think? 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. This is Free Talk Live. Bitcoin.com is the most unique online destination in the Bitcoin universe. Buying Bitcoin? Do it here! Want to speak your mind to other Bitcoin users? Our forum is always open and censorship-free at forum.bitcoin.com. There's no bigger Bitcoin believers than the Bitcoin.com team. That's why this site is a one-stop shop for everything you need to get into Bitcoin life. You can also play games at games.bitcoin.com. Learn more at bitcoin.com. That's bitcoin.com. This is Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. We're talking about Elon Musk, the supposed pinnacle of lean manufacturing. 
who somehow manages to only build between 8 to 14 cars per employee. Is that per year? Per year. Per year. Compared to? Yes, compared to? General Motors and Toyota, when they were working together, they were doing about 74 vehicles per worker in the same plant. In the same plant that uh, later in the article it refers to as NUMI. That's the New United Motors Manufacturing Incorporated. NUMI. Yep. So back to the story. Uh, It's because of this. It's because in this temple of lean manufacturing, Tesla uses far more workers than Numi employed to build far fewer cars. Well, what? This is the opposite of lean. If, If you're scratching your head, it's because what everybody describes as lean manufacturing and how... Uh, St. Elon is the one who's brought it to our times and and rained manna from heaven. It's because it's a crock. It's because people buy into the Elon hype. Right. And Um, let's get into, there's actually some numbers here. So instead of just us, you know, like saying he has more employees, how many more employees? In 1985, the first few, few... Full year of production, Numi, this is the old, this is General yep, Motors that, that and, Toyota. and Toyota. Yep. Had 2,470 employees and produced 64,764 vehicles, about 26 vehicles per worker per year. By 1997, it had 4,844 workers and it produced 357,809 vehicles. About 74 vehicles per worker per year. So it's getting better. This so was, they almost. Almost doubled the number of employees. Yep. And they wound up almost tripling the number of vehicles. Yeah. Uh, 64,000 to 357. Even more than that. What year was uh, that? Well, no, I, I'm looking at the 26 vehicles per employee oh, yeah, per yeah, year. Yeah. That's correct. To 74 vehicles yes. per employee per year. That's almost triple. Yep. And what was the number of years difference between those two? Uh, this was 12 years, yeah, 1985 to 1997. Yep. Tesla, on the other hand, had between 6,000 and 10,000 workers in 2016 and manufactured 83,922 vehicles, which is slightly over the number of vehicles produced by GM and Toyota in 1985 and somewhere between Two and a half to four times the number of employees. Exactly. That puts its vehicle per worker number between 8 and 14, about one-seventh the efficiency of Numi at its peak. In other words, General Motors working with Toyota in the same plant making cars, the same product, was somewhere around seven times more efficient than Elon Musk and Tesla Motors. Yes. So who's claiming Elon Musk or whatever is lean? I think we'll. I, I believe Elon that's Musk. Elon Musk that <laughs> claims that Elon Musk runs a lean manufacturing plant. And again, looking at this photo that you know Elon Musk Enterprises wants you to see, sure, there's only one employee. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, of course, given Elon Musk intends to go from manufacturing 100,000 cars a year to 500,000 cars a year with the launch of the Model Three. Three. One has to wonder whether or not that is actually possible. So here's the issue. Elon has made all sorts of promises, and he's been, I think, teasing this Model 3 for years. Yep. This has been something that's been talked about, and when we come out, 
you know, we're going to roll out with all our all our full strength and everything that we've learned about smarter, I, I faster, better manufacturing. I do remember reading something a, a couple months ago, I think it was, where he was saying that the Model 3 was definitely coming out sometime this year. Yeah, um, but but the question remains is, this article points out, is that even possible? Can you go in this plant where you have an efficiency of, what, 7 to 14 cars, 8 to 14 cars per employee, Yes. Can you scale from a less than a hundred thousand cars to the five hundred thousand cars per year that he claims? Probably Is, not. And that's we'll the question. Continue in just a moment to the phones. We've got Mark calling in from Milwaukee, listening to fifteen ten. Mark, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead with your thoughts. Hello, Mark. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead with your thoughts. Mark, going once. Oh. Yes. There you are. You're, you're on. Go ahead with your thoughts. I don't know if you're <laughs> trying to listen to us on the radio and talk to us through the phone. If that's what you're doing, turn off the radio because there's a delay I will put you on hold. We'll go back to you in just a moment. Yeah, to get back to this, uh, and we talked about, of course, given that Musk intends to go from 100,000 to 500,000 with the launch of the Model 3, one has to wonder whether that's actually possible. The Fremont factory assembles the Model S sedan, Model X crossover, and the soon-to-launch Model 3. Musk said in an upcoming Model Y will be built in a separate factory. In Tesla's fourth quarter earnings call in February, that was only a few months ago, yep. Musk said that once the Model 3 launches, he plans to begin producing 5,000 vehicles per week in the fourth quarter and ramp up to 10,000 vehicles per week in 2018. And again, they're only right now producing 83,000, almost 84,000 per year. So, yeah, this is going to be quite a jump. Right. Going, quote, uh, quote going from 10,000 to five, uh, 100,000 to 500,000 units is a huge leap for any company, unquote, said Sam Fiorani, vice president of global vehicle forecasting at Auto Forecast Solutions. Quote, for them to build a half a million units next year, it would be an amazing uh, ramp up for what is still a startup company. There's all kinds of red flags. But as we pointed out earlier this month, when Tesla's market cap surpassed that of BMW, Ford, and GM, the market doesn't seem to care much about Tesla's manufacturing inefficiencies and will undoubtedly underwrite however many billions of dollars are needed to build additional manufacturing capacity. And Hmm. this market cap is based on... Stock price, which is based largely on speculation. Sure. So you take the stock price times yep. the number of shares of stock yep. outstanding, and that's your market cap. You know what would be like the most efficient, though? What's is that? if people would just like order a car and then have it built. That way you're not building a bunch of cars that may or may not get purchased. You know what I mean? Like, why don't they just have a lot? Saturn you know? used to do that. Yeah. There's, there's, it's, uh, there's, there's arguments for and against. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some people want the convenience. It's like going into a store and ordering a soda, you know, or getting a soda and having it right there. And some people want to be able to walk to a dealership, buy a car and drive off. But. Right. And we don't do that. We kind of go the other way. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen the pictures like uh, Google Earth pictures of 
all these vast parking lots and yes. old airports filled with brand new cars no. that never sell. What? Yes, they what just sit there them? and they they sit there and rust until they decide to scrap them. That's it. Yeah, there's there's. Can you, like, I can't remember. I think it was like a car for like every human on the planet. At, yeah, there's close some to it. A, you know huge amount, and I've seen these yeah. pictures, but. Uh, again, where they say here about the market cap, it's all based on, or not all, but it is largely based on speculation. It is not based on profits. It is not based on number of units sold. It's not based on number of units produced. It's based on speculation. But what helps that valuation, in my mind, is the market's knowledge that, you know what? Tesla's kind of, you could almost use the phrase, too big to fail. Do you think the feds, who have already poured $4.7 billion into Elon Musk's company, would actually let Tesla go down? Or do you think they'd stand up there and underwrite some, you know, on behalf of the taxpayers, so underwrite that, some huge loans? That $4.7 billion, is that what was given just to Tesla, or does that count the other Elon Musk ventures We'll discuss it, and your calls are welcome. 855-4. This is Free Talk Live. 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. In studio, it's Daryl. And Heather. And Chris. And we're talking about an industry that is kind of messed up, specifically the auto industry. But you know what else is messed up? Healthcare. We actually need to have a healthcare system that focuses on health instead of this messed up thing that we have. Sure, health insurance will pay for treating sickness, but you get nothing for actually being healthy. Doesn't that actually incentivize you to be sick instead of being healthy? Well, there is a free market healthcare company that can give you freedom from health insurance. HealthExcellenceSelect.com. They give you a proactive health assessment daily and no charge 24-hour access to doctors. HIPAA has messed up medical records so much that one doctor doesn't know what the other doctor is doing. Wouldn't it be great if you could have a medical information card that you could give to your doctors, to EMS, to first responders, to an emergency room, or any other medical professional? Check them out right now at healthexcellenceselect.com. Any kind of doctor, traditional, integrative, chiropractic, acupuncture, and massage. You'll love the service and the price. Healthexcellenceselect.com. So I guess we're just going to continue on with this theme of crony capitalism and how do we... Yeah, so we we started off talking about the supposed pinnacle of lean manufacturing, Elon Musk. Elon Musk, who's who the market is now valuing valuating his company at $800,000 per vehicle built compared to like $25,000 per vehicle built for like BMW. And how much... Do they wind up selling one of these Tesla cars at? I think they're like about seventy thousand. Yeah, I was going to say. I think the low end. God, somebody call in and tell us what it is. It's somewhere around. I think it's like the forty to one hundred and twenty thousand dollar range. Right. So you know, basically, the company is valued at about ten times what they sell a vehicle for. Right. 
but not every other car company has the strength, power, and credit of the U.S. government behind them, which Elon Musk's hold company on, do on. have. Government Motors most certainly has the GM full faith and credit of the United does. States military behind it. And the tax, well, the taxpayers. I mean, we, we all own a part of that. Yeah, but did you say there was a company that was doing it, like being efficient in the sense that they were taking orders for cars so that they were oh, yeah, yeah, we used to do that? Yeah, which you're talking about is just-in-time manufacturing or just-in-time supply lines. And the idea is, is that, look, if we can assemble one of these so efficiently and quickly, you give us an order for what you want, and bing, bang, boom, our robots go in, build it exactly that way. And mm-hmm. I think most manufacturers have some program to do that. The problem is, is it's still not as efficient as Correct. assembly line. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But if you're willing to pay a premium, right? And, you know, you know, if you want to get a, you think it end up being made, more cost efficient to do it that way than to manufacture no. all of the other cars and then throw them away in a like <laughs> in the because bin. you're paying for all the metal, all the rubber, all the things that go into making the car, all the little electrical stuff that's in the dashboard. Oh, believe me, yeah, the 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 costs that go into a car are extraordinary. But well, somehow let, let's look at this a slightly different way. Yeah. If you go to Ikea or Walmart or Target and you buy some off-the-shelf sofa or bed or whatever, then you know you have it right now. You take it home and whatever. Or you could spend a lot more money and go get a finely handcrafted uh, same piece of furniture built by an Amish guy while you wait. And you know you're going to pay more for that customization. Sure. And you you want a custom built BMW? Call up the BMW company, and they'll say, "Yep, we can make whatever you want." Yeah. And here's how much it's going to cost to I be customized so to much. your specifications. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not talking about just like cust like customizing where you can you know have whatever you want on the car or whatever. I'm you're saying like going online is- like. You know, pick a color. This is the car I want. Boom. Right. You know what I mean? You get a thousand people that pick the blue car of this make and model, then they can manufacture a thousand of them in the month of October. And then, you know what I mean? Not have any. Yeah. I, 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 I see what so, you're getting at. It's just that I'm, I would say I would say our technology probably isn't there yet where we can efficiently because if it if we it, have if, online if, shopping, what's the difference? I, I, I agree. Well, the difference is when you go to jcpenny.com and you order a dress, they already have that dress in stock. They're not making the dress when right. you click they're, order. They're not sending they, an order are, to Bangladesh there saying are crank pizza us out places, one of these. Right. Uh, Little Caesars. You walk in, they've got pizzas ready for you to take out. You go to Domino's, you've got to wait 15 minutes. Right. So it and, and I you're think, going to pay more at Domino's. But I think Who has what, better pizza though, Daryl. <laughs> Papa John's. <laughs> I think what better Heather's pizza, des- better ingredients. <laughs> I think what Heather's describing is where manufacturing does want to go. Of course they want to go to this point where they have they've efficiently purchased all the raw materials for whatever they're making. Mm-hmm. And when they get an order in, they are going to put it together for you and deliver it very, very quickly. Because what that will do is reduce the amount of waste that they have. It'll eliminate things that they do. It's just that right now, the market is sort of imperfect. It's like when GM comes out with a new car, they have a good feeling based on, you know, uh, focus groups and industry studies on whether it's going to sell or not. But they really don't know. Mm -hmm. Correct. Take a look at the Aztec who created that abomination. Was that Buick? 
Uh, I, I forget, but I remember the thing. Yeah. I actually liked the way that thing looked. Oh, well, there we go. Here here would have been the one buyer of the I Aztec. I never bought one. one. Yeah, I know. A few people Because did. it was outside of my price range, but I liked the concept of the vehicle. Yeah, um, but that's the thing. The the market is can be fickle. They can, they can change their minds. And if manufacturers could get to a just-in-time or an instantaneous, almost like a replicator kind of manufacturing, right? it would be wonderful. I just think we're waiting on technology to get us there, and it's not going to be that much longer. Right. And I, I will say, before we go back to the phones, the book publishing industry has gotten there. It's a good example. Uh, yep. you know, but again... You still have people that will buy a bunch of books so that, you know, you go to a show, a fair, instead of telling people, oh, yeah, go to the website and place the order. No, you know, right. people still want the thing right now. Yeah, and, and then, you don't want to miss that sale. Even with vehicles, there's times where, you know, somebody might unexpectedly find themselves in the market for a car. And they don't have six to eight weeks to wait on a custom car to come to them from the manufacturer. Right. <laughs> Let's go to the phones. 855-450-FREE. We've got Mark calling in. Mark, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead with your thoughts. Today I wanted to talk about Illinois. Apparently they sent a dear contractor letter uh, saying that they're going to halt all road work on July 1st because uh, they can't afford to pay the bills. And so uh, uh, basically the the only thing that they're going to be doing maintenance on in Illinois following uh, July 1st is uh, work on like traffic lights and i guess like absolutely essential repairs wow um and uh oh on top of that uh five illinois university or illinois universities uh moody just downgraded seven of them and five of them are in junk status hey can i add one more thing to your list about illinois because i read this headline today i almost brought it in they, they've is got it, a uh, governor's it, wing of their state prison no 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 uh is, mega millions of powerball sorry. Yeah, are yeah. about ready to yeah. ditch Illinois because yep. they, the the state is in such oh, questionable. I thought both of those things were like headquartered in Illinois. I don't know where they're headquartered, but I do know that they're basically staying. If if the the state can't pass a budget agreement, they're going to drop the games being sold in those state in that state. So go ahead with your call. Continue, please. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My ne- my next thing was going to be talking about the Powerball. Yeah. Basically, the, the idea is that Illinois hasn't actually passed a budget in years. And so because hey, they, neither they has the federal budget, government. Yeah. I know, no kidding. Right. Well, the, the well Obama is, got the his federal, political career started in uh, Illinois. Is that unlike um, unlike the federal government, the states, I think, are mandated by by some kind of law saying that they can't go into debt. And so they can only spend the money that they have. Like, if only that would apply to the to the federal government. I think but, I uh, Texas has they, something like that, but yeah. they've got a huge amount of debt because they just sell bonds, and somehow that's not going into debt in accordance with yeah. you know whatever's in their constitution. Yeah, it's a debt by another name. Yes. Yeah, right. pretty right. much. All right. Um, that's really all that I uh, want to talk about. All right, Mark, thank you for the call. Your calls and thoughts welcome, 855-450-FREE. Since he did mention the uh, Powerball, I've got a story pulled up from WGN where they say that, yep, uh, the state lottery that oversees Powerball and Mega Millions will dump Illinois by the end of the month if the state does not pass a budget. 
We might delve into this, plus your calls and thoughts, 855-450-FREE. Plus, uh, what's going on with the hotels and Airbnb? This is Free Talk Live. Do you want to help build a better financial system for everyone? Join Dash. Dash is digital cash, a digital money platform designed to replace cash and help people manage their own wealth. It's fast and easy. Fees are low and transactions are confirmed instantly. You can pay anyone, anywhere in the world, anytime for just pennies on the dollar. Get started at Dash.org. Dash is decentralized, run by users who earn rewards for helping run the network and make governance decisions. Anyone can invest in Dash and earn rewards for helping run the Dash network. Join Dash and help us create a better financial system for everyone. Take back control over your financial future today. Find out more at Dash.org and get your own Dash wallet today. That's Dash.org. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. In studio, it's Daryl. And Heather. And Chris. And Powerball and Mega Millions might be leaving Illinois. And this is something that I had not heard of until we actually had somebody call in and mention this. And so then I pulled up an article from WGN, which is probably one of the most famous articles. radio stations in chicago unfortunately not one of our affiliates but we are on the air not yet in chicago yes we are uh story says a published report says the multi-state lottery association which oversees powerball and mega millions and a couple other games as well might wind up dumping illinois by the end of the month if the state government does not wind up passing a budget Illinois Lottery spokesman Jason Schomburg says it's another example of why Illinois needs a budget. Quote, it is disappointing that the legislature's inability to pass a budget has led to this development and will result in Illinois lottery players being denied the opportunity to play these popular games. This is why it's so critical that the General Assembly deliver a balanced budget to the governor's desk that he can sign. To be fair, the lottery is a tax on the poor. Yes. The the poor just just statistically speaking spend more on lottery tickets than any other group. It's it gives them a sense of hope. It's, you know, somebody's got to win it. You know, this will right. lift me out of poverty. Unfortunately, too many people spend their money on lottery tickets instead of putting, you know, the that $5 a week or twice a week into a bank account, um which would I hate to and, even say a bank account or buy Bitcoin or buy an altcoin. Or, I, I know you know that what I mean? We, we've discussed before, and there's an argument, and I forget who makes the argument, but there's an argument that once the uh, jackpot goes over like $380 million, it actually, quote unquote, makes sense to buy a ticket. Okay. And 
Again, I forget who makes the argument. I forget the specifics of the argument, but I know that it's something that we've discussed before. But let me ask this question, Chris. Have you ever bought a lotto ticket? Of course. And do you do it because, (laughs) you know, you, you like the little bit of excitement to where, you know, for like three days you think... What all would I do with a hundred million dollars? Oh, Daryl, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna make this confession even even bigger. I have whole spreadsheets built. I have a list of contact names, which include financial planners, lawyers, <laughs> accounting firms. I thought you I were have going researched. To, hold, on, hold on, I thought you were going to say you had a spreadsheet <laughs> of the numbers. Oh, I. Of, this number comes oh, no, up no, 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 no. You know, more often than this number. The the law of of large numbers precludes any scam that you're likely to come across that's going to predict lottery numbers. That's a fact. But what do you do? Are you going to be that person who's prepared for the win? I certainly am. So, yeah, once it hits a certain number, I'll occasionally throw it in. But I also, you know, I buy a little <laughs> bit of altcoin, too. You know, I, I spend more money on other small investments because yep. i'm not by any means a wealthy man right um i spend money on other small investments that provide some return where lottery is likely to provide none the article continues that the budget stillmate could enter a third year if lawmakers do not reach an agreement by january or by july 1st Republican Governor Bruce Rauner and the Democratic-controlled legislature have been deadlocked since 2015. The Chicago Sun-Times says that Illinois reported $99 million in Mega Million sales and $208 million in Powerball sales last year, though it is unclear how much money went to the state government. Right. Which generally is the general fund, and then every now and then they're like, all right, let's put a small amount in that education fund because we say it's for the children. Right, and I think some states, I think Pennsylvania has something in statute that takes well, it, that it's money. It's for older Pennsylvanians. Older Pennsylvanians, that was a big deal, but I don't know exactly how it gets to older Pennsylvanians, or maybe it does through the The through older the Pennsylvanians that are working for the Lottery Commission. <laughs> Very and, likely. you know, the older uh, retired uh, legislators, and somehow maybe it might wind up getting to somebody that winds up going to like a state-run old folks' home. Yeah, maybe yeah. if you're lucky, possibly. Let's go to Skype. Where <laughs> Congress we've got, is the old folks' home. <laughs> exactly. Where we've got Stefan calling in from Ohio. Stefan, how often do you play the lotto? I have purchased a total of three scratch-off tickets that were like $5 a piece, and then I realized, holy crap, this is a waste (laughs) of my time. I'll never get that money back. I might as well just save. There you go. Good advice. So what's on your mind? What's on my mind is earlier I was talking to my parents, and they kind of had a snobby attitude towards like – because we were having a discussion about poverty, and they seemed to have an extremely snobby attitude of, oh, all these single mothers sucking the system dry is what the problem is. I mean, what do you think of that? Well, we actually ha! happen to have a single mother ha! in the studio tonight. Heather, how do you respond? <laughs> <laughs> I say, one, I'm a single mom, but there's tons of other single mom that live their life differently than I do. But there was at one point in my life, you know, where I was on uh, – 
several state programs at the time, right? Like both both my parents, mind you, were, you know, middle class or whatever. They paid taxes their whole life against their will, some will say, you know. Um, but they didn't have enough money to put me up in some fancy dorm room or whatever. And I didn't go to any four-year college because I thought it was a bad investment for my financial future. So I went to a community college and applied for financial aid. I got some assistance with that through the state. Um, I also volunteered and coached the Special Olympics three days a week. And I worked three days a week at an insurance agency. So while I was on some state handouts, I was working three days a week, coaching the Special Olympics two days a week, and going to school full-time while being a single mother. So if anybody wants to knock on me for getting any type of government handout, I'll say I contributed to society, and you can eat me. (laughs) (laughs) Stefan, how do you respond to that? (laughs) Well, well... Um, I wasn't sitting on my butt soaking up somebody else's money. My parents, you know, paid their fair share of taxes. So, uh, well, I got to ask, do you believe in the basic principle that taxation is theft? Uh, not really. I think only in, like a lot of people um, like I think taxation is theft when you reach that mental point where you no longer consent to it. But there are a lot of people that believe taxation is what they pay to live in a quote unquote civilized society. And would they prefer to be able to decide where that money went? Sure, I think a lot of people would, and I, th- well, I think the majority of people aren't opposed to paying something if it's in turn going to give them, you know, a community where there aren't homeless people sleeping on park benches or where, you know, the single struggling people in the community have some help to transition through life. Welfare, at least from the single mom perspective, it was supposed to be called transitional assistance because it's supposed to be designed to lift people in your community up, which I don't think very many people are opposed to helping those in their community do better. What they're opposed to is people milking the system or using the system. And, you know, I could argue that because of government regulations, you know, uh, people can't just start up and start their own business. Okay. Minimum wage laws. Like you can't go and work for five, six, seven dollars an hour, well, prove your worth, and then get slow incremental raises because there's minimum wage laws, right? So the government sets that bar. So, I mean, until we fix a lot of the problems with government and regulation, I don't think it's fair to say that the single moms leeching off the system are the problem when there's eight people that have more combined wealth than like 14 billion people. So, I, well, I've got to hop in know. here real quickly and, and just throw out my two cents worth. Anytime you take from the many to give to the few, regardless of whether it's the few corporations or the few single moms or whatever it happens to be, you are practicing socialism. You are following the communist manifesto, and that is anti-liberty. And if these programs are desired and needed, they will be provided. They could be provided absent government doing it. That's the requirement, though. Government has to cease doing it before people will step up and provide it. Well, some would. Can well, we carry, would, carry him hold, over? Hold the thought, Stephen. We'll, hold on we'll bring you back in just a moment. Your calls and thoughts welcome. 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE, that's 855-450-3733. Do you want to help build a better financial system for everyone? You can join Dash. Dash is digital 
Cash. It's a digital money platform designed to replace cash and help people manage their own wealth. It's fast, private, and easy. The fees are low and transactions are fast or in some cases can even be confirmed instantly. You can pay anyone, anywhere in the world, anytime for just pennies. Dash is decentralized, run by users who earn rewards for helping run the network and make governance decisions. Anyone can invest in Dash and earn rewards for helping run the network. Join Dash and help create a better financial system for everyone. Take back control over your financial future today. Find out more at Dash.org. There's a lot of momentum behind Dash, so go right now to Dash.org and find out why. We've got Stefan on the line from Ohio, and Stefan, you have kicked the proverbial hornet's nest (laughs) with your question of, and I'm going to sort of paraphrase the question, are single mothers running the country? And Heather who happens to be a single mother, is saying absolutely, most definitely not. No, I'm saying that I've been on, like, I speak for myself and only me. I do not speak for the, you know, mother that's addicted to drugs, sitting on the system, you know, going to the methadone clinic once a week. Like, that's, you know what I mean? And that happens. I've seen people like that. You know what I mean? And I think that's terrible, but, you know, right. like, again, I have the, my the own. The question is a generalization, not... Right. Is every and single single general, mother generalizations overall, have always been a bad idea? I agree. I agree. Uh, and I, I think to some degree that's a generalized statement to say that generalizations are a bad idea. <laughs> uh, but Stefan, uh, I think you had more thoughts that you kind of wanted to rebut what yes. Heather and Chris had said. So continue. Well, some people would argue. You know, I, that's why I ask if you believe taxation was, is theft. Some people would say. My money is getting stolen, and you have some nerve to take stolen money. That's what a lot of people would probably say. Yeah, you know? that's yeah, okay. You know, like, and it, and sucks. what I want to know is, do you do you think that is a reasonable gripe to have, or do you I think mean, that it's just total nonsense? Okay, you know, um, I guess it all comes down to the argument of like property rights, right? Like, and I've been like, I go back and forth. Like, I think one minute I'm like, yeah, taxation is theft. The next minute I'm like, well, you know, it's not really if a lot of pe- some people are willing to pay, you know, and and in the mental. Well, some people are willing to pay the mugger in Central Park. It's, exactly. It's, no, 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 the mugger's no, 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 not stealing no, 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 money because you know what? It, it it comes back to property rights, right? If people believe in their mind, right? If you have a hundred, like, there's 300 million people in this country, all right? If the majority of them, and I hate to say it, but if the majority are ruling, right, and the majority of people identify as American and believe that inherently America, they believe in these imaginary lines and borders and stuff like that, and they believe that by paying their taxes, they, that is essentially like their rent to live in this country, then you can disagree with that but you need to challenge the people you need to so challenge right the arena of ideas that taxation i think that's what she's saying yeah and es- essentially that's, this is just no. look i don't agree i don't like you know non like i go back and forth but i'm just being realistic here well there's okay? a realistic like is, you can is, complain that you don't like the taxes coming out of your paycheck but until you get up and quit complaining about it and do something about it then you're just sitting there you know being a little i don't i don't beta like personality this, not I don't, making the world well, it's different. what you just said i don't like this notion of 
you know, my rights should be based upon what the majority wants. I'm sure the majority of people. I don't think yours should be either. I'm just saying that's the reality of it. And you got to step up to the the plate here. I'm sure that. I'm sure that, well, of course, but I'm sure the majority of people wouldn't want me having, like, for example, a 30-round mag in my Ruger. Like, polls consistently show that. But does that mean I do not have the right to do that? I mean, you're you're a free individual right now, regardless of whether or not the state exists. You're free to pay taxes. You're free to not pay taxes. If you don't pay taxes, the majority think that they can come that's and lock you up. That's consequences. That's, that's yeah, not but then freedom. you're free to no, resist those freedom. consequences and make a, be bold and make a statement, is what that's I'm saying. Kind of like, it's kind of like a Christian saying, oh, you know, you send yourself to hell, like that kind of thing. No, know? I'm just saying this is the reality we live in, right? If you go and you stand in front of a lion that's hungry and you get bit, like, guess what? You're going to get bit. You know what I mean? Like- right. But the difference here is is that you have somebody holding a gun to your head, and that is government. They're saying, not right no. now, though. That's like no, metaphorically yes. speaking. No, it, it's you right, can you right can extend. Right this second, I do not have a gun pointed at my head. Correct. The second I walk outside and do something that is against the law, then you know it might start with the cop writing something on a piece of paper saying you need to be in court on this day, and then I miss court for whatever reason. Correct. And then the cop sees me and says, "Oh, I'm picking you up for this bench warrant," and I say, "No, you're not." Then. The gun shows up. <laughs> and so there are several steps between me sitting here right now and the gun being pointed at my head. Yeah, but, but it every always law ends. is backed up by that gun <sighs> and the threat of it. It's, it's like it's like imagine another example is like imagine a judge is like you have to pay this fine or else you go to jail but they always word it like you're sending yourself to jail yep you know i've actually had a judge say that to me (laughs) stefan thank you for the call i've actually been in a jail cell before (laughs) driving on a suspended license do i think it was messed up and the whole reason i got this driving on a suspended license right was because i got a third speeding ticket within a five-year span and the third ticket was actually a lane violation for traveling in the left lane it wasn't even i was even speeding before we move on to other things here's where i want to leave my thoughts on this taxation would not be theft if taxation were voluntary and that's it okay but okay so if taxation were voluntary right but the majority of people still contributed right and they paid for the roads still right so whoever still paid taxes paid for the roads then right they could agree as a collective then right that they're going to enforce speed limits so then if you didn't pay tax they could say if you didn't contribute and you weren't a dues paying member of america quote unquote then you couldn't drive on any public roads unless they deemed you could right i think that would be fine if they if that's what i think if, if it were a voluntary system if i could contribute i would even rather see a menu do I want to contribute to NASA? I like space check. Do I want to contribute to our military? Uh, I'm going to go into the subcategories, and I'm going to say for defensive uses, but not for offensive uses. See, I, I would like So that. on and so on. Okay. That That's Let's... completely different than how it is now. Now it is, you pay your taxes, you give us your money, or we're going to come after you. And if you don't give up willingly, if you don't turn over all your assets then we will throw you in jail. If you resist, we will put a gun to your head and we will kill you. Let's go to the phones where we've got Patrick calling in (laughs) from Bullhead City, Arizona. Patrick, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead with your thoughts. One heck of an uh, introduction there for me, man. I I was just going to call and say, Heather, right on. Uh, I like you, Patrick. I, uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've 
I, I see so much out here in today's thing. What you're doing, what you did is you set values for your whole family, and I, I have a different opinion. All right, Wait, hold, hold, hold that thought, and we'll get your different opinion, and your calls and thoughts are welcome. 855-450-FREE. Is it theft if I take your money? <laughs> what if I'm the government? North Deport is a liberty-inspired fiction podcast about a band on tour. Each episode chronicles the band's adventures in the form of a radio interview at a tour stop location. Listen as North Deport explores liberty themes in friendly ways with humor and music. To listen to the podcast and the accompanying album, please visit northdeport.com. That's N-O-R-T-H-T-O-P-O-R-T.com. Or just search North Deport in your favorite podcatcher. This is Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. Your calls and thoughts welcome. And we will hopefully get to the story out of New York where hotels are asking people to narc on neighbors that use Airbnb. Again, hopefully we'll be able to get to that story, but your calls and thoughts are important, and we go back to them. We've got Patrick calling in from Bullhead City, Arizona. Patrick, continue with your thoughts. Well, I got, you know, something that really bugs the heck out of me about taxation. And there, okay, we get, in, in, our, in our field, we get what we call mandatory overtime. In other words, you don't have a choice because you're a public servant. If something happens, you got to be there and you got to work the overtime until you're released. It's a contract, contractual thing. Right. Yep. You know, like you were saying, having a gun held to your head. I mean, and you're, and what's his name as a corrections officer? He knows exactly what I'm talking about. But here's the messed up thing about taxes. Okay, you 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 get your check on a on. A biweekly or monthly basis, and what's what's messed up is if you're working the overtime, all of a sudden you get your check back, and it's actually less than if you just worked your normal 40, 50 hours a week, because that overtime puts you in a different tax bracket, and they start taking out more yep. than the normal. And I, I really, to be honest with you, now that's where I think the theme really thievery, whatever comes in, because A, first of all, you know, you're being forced to do something, and the fact is is they try to entice you with more money, but it's actually less, and then they put the blame off on the government. Well, the government gets more money, and and you know who you can thank for, for that? It, it, to some Politicians. extent. Uh, also, Milton Friedman. Milton Friedman, who was yeah. instrumental working for the government in helping to implement the automated deduction, you know, automatically deduct money from your paychecks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah. when you get your check, all that money's already gone. You don't, because the government really didn't feel that if people and, had the choice, they wouldn't. And didn't wouldn't... actually start as a temporary wartime <laughs> effort to help pay for World War II? Of, of course it did. Uh, just like Social Security. We need security. to get the money faster, so we're going to, during wartime only, Yeah, we're, we're going to withhold instead of you reporting to us every three months. Fortunately, Social Security was temporary, too, so that should have died out 
50, 60 well, years ago. Well, when I was growing up, overtime was a privilege. If you worked overtime, you did that too to make extra money. Yeah. Yep. You're not, nowadays, it, it, it's a joke. It really is. And, um, and nowadays, I, there's a lot of companies to... that rely on overtime where they will intentionally run a skeleton crew and they would just rather pay somebody time and a half than hire another employee to where they've actually got the number of people that they need. Right. It, it, the over the uh, overhead okay. and regulatory overhead is ridiculous. So why not just work the people harder? Right. Because and you know there, there's uh, all kinds of as you mentioned the regulations and the overhead because for each new employee you bring on. Not only are you paying them their base salary, but then there's the FICA, the Social Security, the this, the that. You've got to provide them health insurance. You've got to provide this. You've got to provide that. And it winds up costing the company, you know, like twice as much, whatever the salary is. So, yeah, it's easier and cheaper to pay somebody time and a half. Patrick, thank you. Oh, and I got another thing. Just a quick thing, guys. Uh, now, Now they're actually finding us if we don't file these health incentive programs like you have to give them all your information you got to go to a health fair and you got to be checked out by these companies otherwise you get fined an additional three hundred dollars a year and i don't know how they're getting away with all this yeah i worked for a company that did that too and i quit there might be some kind of thing to where they're required to you, you you have to offer this to your employees and if a certain percentage actually do it then we'll give you this handout there's probably some kind of you know carrot Get attached back. to that stick patrick yep. thank you Thanks for, the, for call. the call and let's go to sarah calling in from albuquerque sarah you're on free talk live go ahead with your thoughts yes uh, i just want to mention that our last mayoral election four years ago was the lowest ever turnout in 40 years. So we had the most lo- lowest turnout in, since like uh, 1976. Okay. So and where are you at, Sarah? She's in Albuquerque. I know, yeah. so but then, I just wanted to then, hear it so from her. My whole point is, I hope that we have a voter turnout this election. I hope people care. Because now the end result is that we have uh, 27 cars stolen every day. Hold on. What what do cars being stolen have to do with the number of people that show up to the mayoral election? Well, the thing is, is that nobody cared who the mayor was. Nobody cared because they all wanted, what is it, they all wanted somebody else to vote for them. The whole thing was, I don't have to vote. Somebody else is going to vote for me. I'll I'll have somebody else decide. And well, so, you know, when, when all of your choices, and I, I don't know specifics about the choices in Albuquerque, but I've lived in enough places to where I know that, you know, by and large, the choices are all horrible, so it really doesn't make any difference who the mayor is. That's why a lot of people well, never I mean, turn that, up to I, vote. Well, the thing is, that's exactly what people thought. Um, so then, but I think that we have the, the Democrat, what we have is uh, Mayor Barry. The other, the other choice was uh, Pete Finnelli. Mayor Barry from uh, D.C.? Marion Barry? From, oh, okay. Different one. No, no. He's, he's been here for 30 years involved in politics here. So then I think he was the better choice, but he was a Democrat. And what does the Democrat do is that usually out of 10 Democrats, only two of them will show up and vote. 
because they all want somebody else to vote for them because they're too lazy, right? Well, so generally in municipal elections, voter turnout's going to be in that you know ten to twenty percent range. Anyway, I remember when I lived in San Antonio, the turnout for the mayoral election was nine percent. The guy that won wound up getting eighty percent of the vote, and it was touted as you know like this guy has some huge mandate. When you actually do the math. 95% of the people that were eligible to vote did not vote for this guy. So it doesn't make a difference how large or how small the voter turnout is. It's just going to be reported, this guy's got a mandate because he won. Sarah, thank you for the call. Let's go to Tom in Nashua. Tom, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead with your thoughts. Yeah, a uh, Illinois woman, the wife of that uh, alleged shooter down in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, her name is Sue Hodgkinson, mm-hmm. and uh, right now she's uh, said a lot of uh, some stuff about how she thought she, she, like her husband said, he was going to Washington because he wanted to work with some people on changing tax brackets, and she uh, uh, also goes on to say that she wanted her family and neighbors left alone. Now, why are all these reporters going knocking on her door and one after another and probably calling her up on the phone, phone ringing off the hook of and her neighbors and everybody else? Well, they probably uh, want some kind of quote because, you know, let's get a quote from the person that knows this guy the best. One, I am suggesting, okay, people in the news media that might happen to be listening to Free Talk Live, okay, reporters who happen to be driving home, and have the radio on, listening to Free Talk Live, uh, newspaper publishers and editors, what they got to do is when somebody is suddenly thrust into a news media circus like that, is you send them a news media liaison and who that calls up and offers to help them deal with all these reporters that they're probably going to be getting and go down, go to the house and help them produce a news release, get a picture from the family scrapbook and everything, and any other reporters have to go through that person as far as like when they're going to be scheduling maybe a news conference and stand by her side to say, you know, look, you don't have to answer that question. And also explain like why they are asking questions that are irrelevant. Tom, thank you for the call. Your calls and thoughts. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. It's Daryl, Heather, and Chris in studio tonight. (laughs) And tomorrow morning, I am heading to the White Mountains of New Hampshire for about 10 days. And one of the things that I'm making sure that I take with me is my pillow. Because it is the best pillow that I've ever used. And you, too, can try this pillow. Well, not mine, because, you know, like, that's mine. You can't come tax it from me. But you can try your very own my pillow, risk-free, for 60 days. This thing is designed to fit to the shape of your body, hold your neck in the proper position. I've been using this thing for well over a year, and it is definitely the best pillow I've ever used. And unlike a regular pillow... You can actually throw your MyPillow into the washing machine, into the dryer, remove that dead skin, remove the dirt, and your pillow is still usable. 
Go to MyPillow.com. Use code FTL to get your very own MyPillow at half price or a second pillow free of charge. And remember, if for some weird reason you don't like it in the first 60 days, you get your money back. And maybe the reason you don't like it is you didn't order the right size. Mm Mm-hmm. Because these things, again, they're designed to fit to the shape of your body. So maybe you know you ordered one that was too thin or too thick. They'll fix that for you. And again, if you just absolutely don't like it, in the first 60 days, you get your money back, less the shipping, of course. And the pillow itself is guaranteed to last you 10 years. That's MyPillow.com, code F-T-L. And... Chris, we started off talking about some cronyism, specifically in the auto industry, but you know that's not the only industry where there's cronyist things. Oh my God, no. We have it in almost every industry at one level or another. Basically everything, and the lodging industry is no exception. And we know, because we've covered this fairly extensively, that sure. New York City is hostile to ride sharing but apparently they're also hostile to room sharing (laughs) you can't do that so this uh article comes to us from reasoning uh hotels want new yorkers to narc on their neighbors for using airbnb hotel chains unions and their allies persuaded new york lawmakers last year to pass a bill banning airbnb and other forms of room sharing in the state New Yorkers proceeded to ignore the law. On New Year's Eve, for example, more people booked Airbnbs in New York City than anywhere else on the planet. All right. So hold on. Let's just look at that for a second. I love it. Because, you know, we, we know that New Year's Eve is a big, huge, giant celebration in New York City. Yeah. That yeah. there's... You know, the rockin' New Year's Eve that's no longer hosted by Dick Clark. Sure. Uh, There's, you know, like all of these major things in Times Square. I was watching a feed, and I still, to this day, don't know where the feed was necessarily coming from. Like, you know, it was something that I found online. It wasn't the rocking New Year's Eve thing. I turned that one off when uh, Michelle Obama's face popped up, and I was like, I don't want to listen to this. And I poked around and found something else. It wasn't like a major network sort of thing, but it right. was whatever Planet Fitness was sponsoring. And so I was watching that, and you could see on the ABC uh, 360 cam that they had of Times Square, like you could see where the Planet Fitness stage was. So, right. you know, like they were in Times Square, watch the ball. But, you know, yeah. like, there's at least two. There were probably other broadcasts from there as well, and just hundreds of thousands of people crammed into this little oh, yeah. space they gotta sleep somewhere yeah um but according to the state of new york not in your house not in your spare room not uh, in that apartment. what about my apartment because an apartment's not a house well then i think that's against the rules too if you're using airbnb oh, damn. so anyway more people booked airbnb in new york city than anywhere else on the planet for new year's eve data provided by the company show that 55,000 people used Airbnb on December 31st, 2021st. Let's start that again. On New Year's Eve. Data provided by the company shows that 55,000 people used Airbnb on December 31st, 2016, up from 47,000 people on the final night of 2015, 
before the ban was enacted. Hold on, hold on. So you're telling me that they made it the against ban the law <laughs> did not prevent people from using Airbnb? I'm shocked. This is my surprised face. Yeah, actually, it seems like the ban increased the number of people booking by 8,000 people in New York City on New Year's Eve. What's the hotel industry to do? The answer, it seems, is to encourage New Yorkers to narc on their neighbors. All right. Of so course. let's pause here. Go to the phones. 855-450-FREE. We've got Larry calling in from Utah. Larry, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead with your thoughts. Yeah, I've got uh, just two comments. Uh, well, there's a couple comments for two of your uh, previous call-ins. One of them was on the uh, gentleman that had forced overtime. He knew that, or if he didn't know that, his union uh, knew it before he ever hired on. Most uh, public companies, if they have a contract for that or they have a need for that, let you know that. I was an airline captain for many, many years. The first thing they told me when I went through the interviews is, we don't give Sundays off, we don't give holidays off, we don't give weekends off. You fly with your seniority. When you get senior enough, then uh, you've got the chance to bid to a better trip to bid to a, uh, more time at home, whatever you want, but seniority is what follows that. And when he talked about how he paid higher taxes on the amount that he made at that time, yeah, it jumped up because it makes it look like for that week that he got paid, his income taxes are going to rise considerably when his income rises considerably. I've got a friend that works for the Salt Lake City Airport, and he gets uh, double and a half time on some holidays which is a lot of money, that's going to kick up his taxes. But when he files at the end of the year, that that evens itself out. So if it pushed him into another tax bracket because he had overtime every week, then he might have been pushed into a higher tax bracket that he still made more money. He just paid a little more taxes on it. Uh, we the other part of the point that point, I wanted though. to make is you had a gentleman talking about, uh, I think he's one of your members. This is the first time I've listened to your show on quite interesting to listen to it but there was one of your gentlemen i believe talking about how he didn't want to uh have maybe a road going somewhere and he'd rather not have to pay for that one of my good captain friends uh was the first libertarian that i ever know of that was elected to an office uh office of mayor of the city that he lived in in new jersey and he told everybody what he believed he says if you don't want to have an army you don't pay for the army if you don't want to have a school you don't pay for the school well, when he got elected into office after several months of being in, he said, I don't want to pay for everybody else's streetlights. And he shut the streetlights off in the uh, little town that he lived in every night. And after about four or five months, he was no longer mayor of the city. You, you get into anarchy when you have things like that. People do expect things for taxes, and even though we don't like to pay them, and I certainly don't like to pay them sometimes. So how uh, was this guy removed as mayor after five months? Pardon me? How was the guy removed as mayor after five months? Well, I, I, I don't know how he was removed. I was a, a simulator instructor for Transworld Airlines, and he came in one day, and I asked him how things were going. He said, well, I was removed as mayor, and I was only in there for five months after I got elected. <laughs> so how that happened, I have no idea whether he just quit because so many people were upset with him or whether they forced him out. I, I can't give you that. I can give you his name if you want to go look him up. I'm curious That was an actual is. happening, and that happened back in the 80s. I'm he curious. Was probably uh, the first libertarian. What was his name? Go ahead. Say again. I said, I'm curious as to who he was. I want to look that up later. His name, his net, his name was Richard Ciano, S-I-A-N-O. Gotcha. I hope he doesn't mind me putting his name out. 
Hopefully. Well, he was a public uh, official. He was a public, so that's... It's called transparency. Yeah. Yeah, public officials, public info. Chris, so I, I, I think I've got to say, sure. yeah, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, and we'd probably disagree on a few things fundamentally. I think the key to, if you do want taxes to be more voluntary or at least have a say in where they go, it's a question of education. You know, I, I grew up, I, I was in the military in the Reagan years. I'm a little bit older than everybody else in the studio. And I really did believe that it was just what we had to do. Uh, later in life, I began to question that because I questioned where some of my tax dollars go. And I, I think the point is, is that if we can educate more people about the idea that you can fund things voluntarily, I, I voluntarily fund a food shelf, not contribute to, I don't fund the whole thing, um, but it, it causes our little town of 2,000 people to expend virtually zero money for welfare for food. Now, we still have welfare for other things, but we don't spend any on food because it's all voluntary contributions. Larry, I'm not sure if you have more to add. If so, I'm putting you on hold. We'll bring you back. Hour three coming up after the news. Your calls and thoughts welcome. 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. Plus, we'll get back into the story about New Yorkers narking on their Airbnb neighbors. A funny thing happens when you don't advertise. Nothing. Modern advertisers have been trained to look for trackability in their advertising, and web search ads are great for that. They also help you get the consumer that's looking for products like yours in the moment. But they're expensive, and they do nothing to convince people to try your product segment in the first place. They help you get a bigger piece of the pie, but branding mediums like radio grow the pie itself. Free Talk Live's on more than 150 stations, and we can help advertisers with little budgets and big ones. Send me an email, mark at freetalklive.com. It's mark at freetalklive.com. Kicking off our number three, you can join us at 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. The us in studio tonight is Daryl. And Heather. And Chris. And we have a caller that uh, we held over from the last hour. Uh, Chris, you had asked a question about uh, various you know, uh, sort of services being provided without taxation. Could you restate the question before we bring Larry back on? Yeah, it was just basically the premise that if taxes were more voluntary, I'm not saying do away with taxes, but if if we could have some control about where they went, I, I would have less of a problem. Right, so you, you, you get a uh, recommendation from your municipality or the state government yep we want to spend here here and here look through all right well i like this service i like this service not a fan of this one i like this one uh so let me calculate here and here's how much i'm giving of my recommended contribution or even that um i'm being taxed for our dump you know to take trash to i decide i'm not a service right but I decide I'm not going to use it. I want to opt out of that completely. I, I don't want to be taxed for it. I don't want to pay for it. In in turn, I'm going to go find a private provider. What's, Larry, thoughts? Is, do you have an issue with that? Yes. Well, I do. Uh, let me. I moved from Jacksonville, Florida, up here. In Jacksonville, Florida, they were one of the first 
major cities to have recycling. And they didn't charge one cent for that because when they got in on it, they were one of the first, and they could sell all the recycled materials they could collect, glass, sure. plastic, paper, and et cetera. I come out here to uh, Utah uh, back in 99, and we had a uh, regular trash pickup. After about four or five years, all of a sudden the trash pickup uh, is going to change, and they're going to have selective trash pickup for garbage and then uh, for recyclables. But they're going to charge you uh, 15 or 18 or $20 a month extra for doing that. And I refused to pay it. I said, I don't want to pay that. Uh, if you can't get it for free, if you can't find a way of finding companies to take this recycled material, then opt me out. I, if I can't put it in the garbage dump, I'll put it somewhere else. Yeah. And they uh, let me opt out of it. So I, I buy some of that. I just think it would be very, very difficult if you had a uniform system, not only in little cities and towns and states across America and the country where you could voluntarily pay what you wanted to pay. And they had categories that each one of these things would neatly fit in that you might or might not want to pay. Then that might work if you had an educated public. We don't have an educated public in that manner. <laughs> well, we I also don't have, have educated legislators. We don't have the educated public to sell it to. Yeah, we, yeah. we also don't have educated legislators making up those budgets either. Yeah, and, and you're this, absolutely correct. And that gets into the weeds. And these these programs are all run by bureaucrats who live and breathe this stuff in a vacuum. They often right. don't see the effects of the decisions they make and the programs they put into place. So correct. I didn't say it would be easy. I'm just saying that for me but personally, I, think, I like to advocate those types of ideas. Well, see, this is why I think some people actually do support government is because of the fact that they know that they're not educated when it comes to these kinds of decision making. And so they prefer to put their decision making in the hands of what they would deem more experienced people. Well, I'm not educated on car repair, but I don't want the government regulate or you know like getting involved and in saying we are running all car repair stuff now. I, I understand that the free market I think, does a much better job, Larry. Thank you for the call. But I would say that like from trying to understand why people support government like we can sit here and dig our feet in the ground and be like government's this government's that like trying to understand like what is government why does government exist how did it come to exist that's important you can't just be like oh it's here and it's wrong you have to consider okay well guess what if you have a tumor in your brain how did it get there what's causing it you know what i mean like and and the fact of the matter is, is that government wouldn't exist without the consent of the people and the fact is is the majority of the majority of people aren't resisting against government so therefore it's still going to thrive it's still going to exist because the majority of people don't see it as as a big enough problem yet this is a common misconception the, wow. the misconception is is that it is government it is the way it is and that's the way it's always been well it hasn't always been that way the bulk of the things that we complain about on this show i mean the the big issues really have their start say a hundred years ago or a hundred and 15, 120. There's some uh, others that predate that. 150 on some of them. On some of them, yeah. But this is a, just a modern thing, if you will. This is something that's come, kind of come about, particularly with the progressive era and, and the idea that we can get experts centralized in one place that can make better decisions about your life than you can, Heather. Yeah, and you want in some areas, that's true, though. Yeah. When like uh, give me an example. In a lot of areas. Give me like, an example of something that the government does better 
than a private okay, service I'll give you an or example. citizen could do. Like, there's a lot of libertarians, anarchists, or whatever that are against seatbelt laws, right? Because if you don't pay the ticket, if you get a ticket and you don't pay it, it's jail. They throw you in jail, whatever. Okay, when I was younger, I was very naive when it comes to public road safety, right? Mm-hmm. And so there were many times after so many tickets where I was constantly handing money over to the state after my third lane violation ticket, you know, I was mandated in Massachusetts to take some uh, class that cost like 125 bucks and I didn't take it within the time frame, So I lost right. my license, got caught driving on a suspended license and yada, yada, yada. By the time I paid all the money to get my license back later in life, there were so many times where I buckled up for the sole fact that I was trying to avoid a ticket. Now, had I been in a car accident and those seatbelt lights and me putting my seatbelt on caused me to save my life, then I might actually be praising the same seatbelt laws that I hated, you know, and the same laws that I thought were just out to get my money that like I spoke with an officer once who said, you know, you go to a, respond to a car accident, right? And and pick up like dead kids bodies off the road that could have been saved because they weren't wearing your seatbelt. This is why I support seatbelt laws, right. etc. Like you like it's it's you know, I think it's so one-sided the way people are like, "Oh, the only reason these laws exist are for money for the state." That's you know, that's kind of no, that no, might be true, but no. oftentimes they exist for all the best reasons with the best intentions. Right. And the question is is whether it is worth sacrificing your liberty and your freedom because of best intentions. We happen to live in the only state in the country that does not have a mandatory seatbelt law, and seatbelt usage, based on reports that I've seen, is higher in New Hampshire than it is in the surrounding states. I mean, I I haven't seen any of these things, or, you know, I don't know how they pulled their example. I'm just saying, from my experience, there were times where the only reason I put my seatbelt on was to avoid getting a ticket, and it did, so that, in a sense... So the deterrent factor worked. I'm just saying. Right. Let me give you an example of an actual car accident. I was in when I was 17, 18 years old, fell asleep at the wheel... Row. With a friend of mine in our Dodge Omni, my my father's brand new Dodge Omni, 1981, maybe something like that. Uh-huh. Went off the road, not wearing a seatbelt. Car flipped end over end for some distance, and the car landed on its hood. When it landed on its hood, it crushed the roof of the car down, level with where my neck would have been had I been wearing a seatbelt. Because I was not wearing a seatbelt, I was thrown down, I was thrown sideways, and I was not decapitated, which a seatbelt would have done. Now, with that in mind, I was in the military, and we had a Maryland state police officer come and speak to us about their changes in the seatbelt law. He said in all the years that he had been a state trooper, he had never pulled a dead body out of a seatbelt. He had come across many dead bodies that had been ejected from cars, but he had never pulled one out of a seatbelt. And he said, now that's not to mean that they didn't die of their injuries when they went to the hospital, but I never pulled a dead body out of a seatbelt. So based on those two experiences, I still trusted his judgment better than my own experience. And I wear a seatbelt all the time, but the state isn't making me do that here in New Hampshire. Right. There's no requirement. That was a decision mm-hmm. I came to on my own. Good and ideas. that's the way... I mean, I do don't need fire force. Thank you. Your calls and thoughts welcome, whether it's on For some people, I mean. forcing people to do <laughs> what you think is a good idea 
or narking out your neighbors for running Airbnb. Your calls and thoughts welcome. 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. This is Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. Do you like to save money? Who doesn't like to save money, right? I I think everybody likes to save money. That's sort of a, a universal people like to save money. What if I told you that you could save up to 25% or possibly a little more on things that you were going to buy anyway from Amazon? You would say, tell me how to do that, right? Most likely, yes. Go to saveatpurse.com. That's saveatpurse.com. And then you fund your account there at saveatpurse.com with Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. And then you can save Big time. I consistently save about 20% on things unless I'm in a hurry and then I save a guaranteed 5%. And if you want those larger savings, put things in an Amazon wish list, import the wish list into the account that you create there at saveatpurse.com. And then again, you fund the account with Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. You get the item, somebody gets the Bitcoin. And everybody is happy. Save at purse.com. New York City, apparently, and actually possibly all of New York State, there are some people that aren't happy. Specifically, the hotel owners, the unions, and some of their allies aren't happy that things like Airbnb exist. Yeah, and recap, we were reading an article from Reason.com about um, New Yorkers, uh, hotels want New Yorkers to narc on their neighbors. And as it continues, we talked a little bit about the current specs. Uh, New York outlawed uh, pretty much Airbnb. Right, and it doesn't specify if that's statewide or citywide, and that's one of the problems of having a state and a city with the same name. Same, it gets a little confusing. Uh, but 55,000 people used Airbnb on December 31st, 2016. After the ban, before the ban, only 47,000 people used it on New Year's Eve. So it seems to have worked the exact opposite. And back to the story, what's the hotel industry to do? The answer, it seems, is to encourage New Yorkers to narc on their neighbors. Share Better, a nonprofit funded by the Hotel Trades Council and the American Hotel and Lodging Association, has created a hotline to allow New Yorkers to report illegal home sharing to the proper authorities. And then it quotes a tweet which says, Know what is illegal and legal when it comes to Airbnb. Call this number to protect yourself and your neighborhood. and Or go to illegalhotels.org. That sounds like it would be a great website to find <laughs> underground hotels. Wouldn't it? Just the, the coolest hotels, the ones that got all the stuff you wanted. Oh, in. yeah. Where'd you book your place? I went to IllegalHotels.com. It was sweet, man. There was a shooting range in the basement. It was great. Uh, reporting dangerous and threatening behavior to the police is one thing. And if you don't want to go directly to the cops, Aaron B. already offers a hotline for complaints about bad hosts and guests. But this is one of those situations where illegal 
isn't exactly the same as dangerous. What threat does Share Better think New Yorkers need to protect their neighborhoods against? Visitors who want to shop in local stores, eat in local restaurants, or otherwise help locals make money? Sounds awful. Or, you know, people that want to save a little bit of money, people that want to spend money in your city and thus giving you extra, you know, tax revenue that you would not have gotten otherwise. Oh, yeah. And these types of things are are huge. Uh, These darn tourists coming here and ruining my city. Bringing their dang money with them and leaving most of it behind. Uh, All this is part of a national effort. Last year, the American Hotel and Lodging Association outlined plans to, quote, actively coordinate with state and local hotel associations, along with affordable housing, neighborhood and tenant groups, consumer groups, labor and others, unquote, to create a narrative that room sharing is wrecking neighborhoods and hurting average Americans. And And, uh the article you skipped a sentence that says apparently share better was running ads in dc featuring a woman claiming to have quote watch tourists using airbnb ruin her neighborhood <laughs> these darn tourists running my neighborhood no who's ruining your neighborhood in dc or the politicians on capitol hill Passing all kinds of regulations that strip away your freedoms. And in that Who's story... Who's running your neighborhood are the city councilors passing regulations preventing people from doing business in your neighborhood. The, you know, the, the politicians that are setting minimum wage laws, the politicians that are implementing regulations that keep people from running lemonade stands, from selling cheap food, from feeding the homeless. Right. That's who's ruining your neighborhood, not somebody staying at or even running an Airbnb. But in this country, if you want to protect your profits, here's one way, two ways you can go about it. Number one... Figure out ways to offer your service or product at a lower price at a better quality than your com- competitors. Yep. That's one way to do it. The other way is to take that money you would have invested in your product, throw it at a bunch of politicians, and get them to enact legislation that, in essence, puts your competition out of business or makes the barrier so high for entry into your industry that no one accepts the people that are already there can afford to do it. Or or you could also do both of those things, but at different times in your life. Wasn't it Rockefeller that in like the 1860s, 1870s, you know, whenever a uh, lower price competitor came around, he would wind up, you know, becoming more efficient, dropping his right. prices. But then about 30 years later, he decided, you know what? I've had enough of this free market <laughs> stuff. I'm going to start buying politicians. Yeah. And he did both things. And in the end, uh, he flip-flopped back and forth, depending on the situation. But it's that's crony capitalism, folks. That's that's what really hurts us as a country. All of this is, uh, I already talked about that. And you were talking a little bit about the ad about the woman talking about how it, you know, Airbnb had destroyed her neighborhood. Yes. It's an interesting story in itself because she's not exactly who she says she is. She turned walk, out to walk. be an actress. Of course, uh, almost every and you know it, it depends on how you define the term actress. Um, you know, was this an actual person making a complaint, and she just happened to have been paid for appearing in the ad, 
or yes. was this someone <laughs> that they wound up, you know, hiring off the script? We have this script for this is what we want the ad to say. We're looking for someone to fill this role. She was absolutely being portrayed as a local of uh, long-term uh, Anacostia. That's a part of D.C. or close to D.C. Yep. Uh, resident, and she absolutely was not one. Um, yep, but neither that's here. Full-on actress. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. completely fictitious, as they would say, uh, based on a true story. Right. Except they didn't say any of that. <laughs> Maybe it was in like two point font down at the bottom of the screen, so that you couldn't see it. Could have been. Uh, in reality, the growth of services like Airbnb has helped people make extra money from unused spare space in their homes and lowered hotel prices during peak times, like New Year's Eve, the Super Bowl, and major other major events. Your calls and thoughts on this or whatever is on your mind. 855-450-FREE. This is Free Talk Live. This is Riley Blake, producer of the Free Talk Live Daily Digest. In addition to the Digest, I host my own weekly podcast called Anarcho Agenda, providing you liberty-oriented content without all the statism. Subscribe to Anarcho Agenda on iTunes, Google Play, or visit anarchoagenda.libsyn.com. That's A-N-A-R-C-H-O agenda.libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com for further details. This is Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE, that's 855-450-3733 in studio, it's Daryl, and Heather, and Chris, and I know that in the past we've talked about echo chambers, but it's something that, you know, it deserves being brought up again, because, you know, it's... Something that I, I think a lot of people may not realize that they're in an mm-hmm. echo chamber. Other people may realize that they're in it and enjoy it. And I've seen things, especially since the election uh, back in November, yeah. where people have done charts showing that you know these echo chambers actually exist. There's like you know two or three different Facebooks, if you will. Mm-hmm. There's the you know sort of Facebook that the ultra conservatives what they label as ultra conservatives yeah. have there's the facebook that the you know hardcore leftists have there's the facebook that libertarians have and there's these distinct sorts of things and you can see the little thin lines of this blob that shares amongst itself yeah and every now and then something goes to one of the other little blobs in for those that don't know, like an echo chamber is like on social media where you have like a whole bunch of friends that all share similar beliefs than you as you. So it tend, they tend to validate your opinions and you tend to validate theirs. So it echoes the same belief system. Right. And the same stories get shared yep. over and over and over in amongst these sure. little groups. Mm-hmm. And Chris, I, I know that, you know, you might sort of cross over a little bit more than others. Wow. What are, you, what are you calling me? Are you calling me a progressive See, or a conservative? you're calling him a nomad. I think that's a good <laughs> thing when it comes to views. No, it's, I, I take a real concerted effort to uh, insert myself into groups of people that do not believe exactly the way I believe. That's good. So I do want to, I want to involve myself with progressives and conservatives and 
Yeah. But yeah, please continue. This is interesting. Okay, so this story, it starts off by saying, not so long ago, many of us were celebrating social media's power to topple oppressive leaders. Those days are over. Today, it's far more common to read about how social media echo chambers are destroying democracy. So when I I just have to ask this question, Chris, maybe you know the answer to this. When was social media ever being, uh, you know, come into claim to that, uh, you know, like it allows us to topple oppressive leaders? (laughs) The claim has always been there, I think, as long as there has ever been social media. Uh, I remember the Arab Spring, because that was that's people a good use example. Twitter for the Arab Spring. Right. But that's about it. I do remember like the Muslim Brotherhood controversy, all like Yeah, yeah that was like, during the Arab Spring. Yeah, and all of the um well, there's this And Either o- way. other than that, I don't remember ever hearing that, you know, social media is being used to topple leaders. And I don't know if you can necessarily call okay, Twitter well, let's get in. it kind of gets into media. it a little bit. Yeah, okay, let's, so let's, it says, let's listen. Barack Obama highlighted the dangers of filter bubbles in his farewell speech. Harvard Law Professor Cass Sunstein has written a whole book on the topic. It opens with the line, in a well-functioning democracy, people do not live in echo chambers or information cocoons. The argument against echo chambers is clear. A combination of algorithms and personal choices allow us to focus on content that confirms our beliefs. But on social media, we huddle with those most like us using our Twitter and Facebook feeds to preach to the converted. So and- I, I'm not sure I necessarily want a quote-unquote well-functioning democracy that this Harvard Law professor is talking about. Because what a well-functioning democracy is is the plurality on a given day that dictate to the majority what they can or cannot do over the next period of years. I think the intent behind what he said is having people have a free flow of exchange of information and ideas and being open-minded as opposed to limiting our knowledge in uh, dis- intellectual discussions to those that are already converted in the sense that they think the way we do. I think that's where he was going when he made that comment. Um, right, and I, I you know, fully support the free flow of ideas, ideas and, and information. but I don't support a well-functioning democracy because, okay. again, that bases the thing of my rights are dependent upon other people. Right. Thank you for expressing that, Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's an important distinction, and we toss the phrase democracy out a lot in our society, and it's... Really not one of those things that most people would actually want. Right. And most people don't actually think about what democracy is. Right. But go ahead. Okay. So this says it's true that echo chambers can obstruct the flow of information, and that's a problem. But those echo chambers can also be a formidable tool for political resistance. Where else do you have such immediate access to hundreds, thousands, or even millions of people that agree with you? The key is to use social media for mobilization, not persuasion. Internet descendants in authoritarian countries have long understood this. In countries that restrict freedom of assembly, descendants find each other on the Internet. In China and Russia, the opposition uses social media to organize among themselves, not to convince the other side. I don't waste my time arguing with leftists on the Internet, a Chinese activist once told me. And you can hear similar sentiments in the United States. A Black Lives Matter activist told me that social media was for fostering black solidarity, not for changing white people's opinions. Solidarity is essential for political action. You probably won't attend a protest, for example, if nobody else is going to be there. 
in your echo chamber, at least, you know you are not alone. That knowledge is not enough for real political change, but it's a start. After the presidential election, large groups of people clustered on the Internet looking for somewhere to direct their energy. Social media can point those people toward a specific set of actions. It's interesting. And this, I hate to say this again, it reminds me of a book I just read. Everything reminds you of a book you just read? It does, because the book? I like reading books. Uh, this one's called The Three Languages of Politics, and it's by Arnold Kling, who is with the Cato Institute. And kind of his contention is, and I, I think this is, I think he's he's kind of on to something, is basically there are four, uh, three primary groups of political thought in our country. And this is his assertion, not mine, but he basically says there is the conservative group, the progressive group, and the libertarian group. And none of us speak the same language. That's why we can't communicate ideas or we just shut things down because they don't speak the same. So, for example, in his book, he he claims that progressives are very much in the oppressed versus oppressor. In other words, somebody's making a lot of money. Here's the 1%. Here's the 99%. Everything and their speech is sort of couched in that oppressed oppressor. Right. And. They play victim. Right. Going on with the, you know, speaking different languages, it's also kind of why a lot of times people will talk past one another. Right. To where, you know, they don't necessarily want to understand what the other person is saying. Right. They just want to keep making their point, and the other party wants to make their point, and nobody is understanding what anybody is saying because they're talking past. Past one another. They're listening so that they can respond. They're not listening so that they can learn. So an example of conservative language is more of a civilization versus uh, anarchy and, you know, just just and protecting culture is another. Uh, Right, right, right. But but, yeah, like think primitive culture versus civilized culture. You know, we've got to protect the institutes that we've developed in Western civilization and they're sort of sacrosanct in that. In libertarian thought, we speak very much about liberty versus tyranny. Yes. And the book's kind of good in that it goes through and it gives some examples of this. You know, three different groups of people talking about the same subject, but how each one describes that. And the reason I think this is valuable is, is if we can learn how to talk to progressives or conservatives as libertarians, we stand a better chance of being able to help them understand where we're coming from and we understand where they're coming from. And you mm-hmm. posted about this book in the AMP-only Facebook group that oh, I did, you can I? join. If you're an amplifier, go to amp.freetalklive.com to learn more about that. More on Echo Chambers, plus your calls and thoughts, 855-450-FREE. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. Possibly time for you and your thoughts if you call in now, 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. In studio, it's Daryl. And Heather. And Chris. And have you ever wanted to start your own website or blog, but you've not been able to put that idea into action? 
Well, you're in luck because HostGator, one of the top hosting companies out there, is offering a special deal to Free Talk Live listeners. Go to HostGator.com slash FTL and you can get up to 50% off their regular prices. Hosting your own website or blog can be intimidating, but HostGator makes it easy. HostGator offers a simple one-click easy installation for WordPress and they have 24-7 over-the-phone or live chat tech support and a very intuitive and user-friendly control panel that puts the power of creation and the simplicity of use into the hands of you, the customer. HostGator has a 99.99% uptime rating, so you don't have to worry about outages. To get that special offer of up to 50% off for Free Talk Live listeners, visit HostGator.com slash FTL. We're talking about echo chambers. Yes. And article comes from the Washington Post and they're saying that you know sometimes an echo chamber might not necessarily always be bad because it allows you to mobilize with like-minded people. Yeah. So it actually goes in to give some examples. Uh, it says President Trump has skillfully used social media to galvanize his supporters, but the resistance is using the same tool to fight back. Social media helped drive people to the Women's March over in over inauguration weekend, and it also directed Americans to airports across the country to protest Trump's executive order on immigration and refugees. A hashtag delete Uber campaign, which protested the company's lack of solidarity with airport protesters, spurred more than 200,000 people to delete their accounts. Uber chief executive Travis Kalanick subsequently quit Trump's economic advisory council. A grab your wallet. Let's talk about the delete Uber thing real quick. That protest that they mentioned where in, I believe it was New York City, a bunch of taxis said, we're not going because, you know, the uh, immigration and refugee ban. They didn't go for one hour. And Uber said, you know what? We'll take that business. And that got some people upset. It was a one hour protest. Right. So it wasn't, you know, like a concerted, we're never doing business at the airport again. And mm-hmm. Uber said, we will. It was a one hour protest. Yeah. So a grab your wallet campaign urged people to boycott products with ties to the Trump family. And it may have contributed to Nordstrom's decision to drop the Ivanka Trump clothing line. Democrat- you know, I didn't even know Ivanka Trump had a clothing line <laughs> until either. it made news exactly. that Nordstrom's <laughs> is dropping. <gasps> So Democrats, and this is what I find interesting. It says Democrats have also been using social media to influence Congress. 21st century technology is surprisingly effective for getting people to pick up a telephone and flood congressional offices with calls. Mm-hmm. Social media campaigns are also useful for uh, ginning up donations, helping to raise serious money for the American Civil Liberties Union and other organizations. Uh Fine, some will argue, but so what? We already know that social media is good for low-cost short-term actions, but today's echo chambers can fan the kind of energy needed to achieve broader strategic goals. Owen Ellickson, a comedy writer whose Twitter following soared after he began parodying Trump, turned his feed into a kind of progressive hub. If you can use social media to psych up your team, that can have big real-world consequences, he said. An organization called Swing Left, this is what I thought was interesting, Intends to prove that point. Swing left's goal is to help Democrats win back the House in 2018. You type in your zip code on their website to find the swing district closest to you, and then you can sign up to learn how to help. 
Social media helped swing left quickly build a base. By January 22nd, the New Yorker reported 100,000 people had signed up for swing left updates, a number that has surged since. Immediately after the House vote on a bill to replace Obamacare, tens of thousands of grassroots donors contributed more than $2 million to support the Democrats running against the Republicans who supported the repeal. David Klatt, social media director for Swing Left, told me that the organization doesn't use its Twitter feed to try to win over Republicans. The first step is mobilizing people who want to see Democrats elected in swing districts. As he puts it, left is in the name. Right. And, you know, as with any kind of advertising, it doesn't make sense to spend money advertising to people that are never going to buy your product. Right. Yeah, that's true, too. So, you know, like uh, a company selling high-end cars... They're not going to advertise in the ghetto. Right. Because it makes absolutely no sense. If your you know, objective here is to get people to support Democratic candidates running for U.S. Congress, you're not going to advertise in a pro-gun group and a group advocating for lower taxation. You're hey. going to advertise to people that support things that... You know, generally would be seen as democratic policies. Hey, I got a great deal on a block of time on the Glenn Beck show. Huh? There's only a couple more. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to wind up advertising there well, of because it's not, not your Because base. you're not going to get it. So finish out this article real quick here. It says, nobody likes the idea of echo chambers. They amplify fake news. They serve as breeding grounds for terrorists and white supremacists. They also widen the political divide, which can have serious electoral consequences. Make no mistake, if you want to win an election, you have to communicate with people on the other side. But maybe social media isn't the best place to do that. Twitter, with its flame wars and character limits, is just not an optimal tool for persuasion. How often do you see liberals on Twitter getting Trump supporters to change their views or the other way around? What social media can do is urge people to shut their laptops and go knock on doors to talk to voters, for example. One of our social media goals is to empower our volunteers to show up and do the hard work that is required to flip a house seat blue in a swing district. Klatt said, social media communicates goals and calls to action, but the real effective organizing happens on the ground. In other words, don't spend all your time arguing with people on the Internet. If social media won't bridge the political divide, use it to close ranks. So, you know, this entire <laughs> article could have been summarized in that next to last exactly, right? <laughs> Don't spend all, all of your, your time, time arguing, arguing on the Internet. <laughs> and I, I would just say, don't spend all of your time arguing. Because arguing is completely useless. Right, right. Now, if you want to have an intelligent conversation... By all means, See, do that. I think. But so many people say, I like to argue. And that's it, when you just yell back and forth at people. That's Anymore. what I think what we do is so awesome. Because Free Talk Live is like the like model of eliminating echo chambers. Because anybody can call in and say whatever it is that they want. They you know can. what I mean? There is well, no there echo chamber certain words here. that they're not allowed to say. Yeah. And they frequently do. And but I think that's what draws me you, so you much to doing this talk radio. any topic right. at you all. Know. And we've got Richard on the line in Austin. Richard, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead with your thoughts. Hey, thanks for taking my call, good people. Yeah, I got something that's real important, I think. Uh, I, I got my nieces and nephews down here staying with me for the summer, and they were telling me how they had to literally wrestle my niece down to get her to take one of the vaccines. So I'm trying to propose that uh, starting before the summer ends, pick a day, any day, 
do it for a week, like have a, like a like a cookie drive, or like we're selling those champion chocolates. Everybody who's been listening uh, in earshot of what I'm saying, go down to your school districts and wherever your respective school district is, and start demanding those waivers that they have to give you by law. And everybody start putting them on YouTube or Facebook, MySpace, whatever, taking them to your churches, your libraries. And we're going to have to get real proactive about this stuff because these people aren't going to stop vaccinating our children to death. My mother almost died this uh, earlier this winter from a, a flu vaccination they gave her when she went into the hospital. So we have to just start taking over and getting real proactive. And the best way to do it, I think, is that everybody start getting copies, making copies of these uh, so-called waivers. Well, and, and your, your mileage may vary depending on what state you live in, because not all states allow people to opt out of a vaccine for philosophical Rhode Island reasons. Island actually has, I believe, mandated vaccines. Yeah. Every state has mandates, and you know certain states allow for a philosophical opt-out. Uh, most allow for religious, and then I believe all allow for medical, which would mean you have to convince your doctor that you know there's a legitimate medical reason not to get a vaccine. Richard, I wish there was more time to continue this conversation. We've got less than Call a minute left. In. You can call uh, back tomorrow night. No, he can't call back in tomorrow night because we're going to be uh, delayed from the Somalia Fest over the weekend. Gotcha. Uh, but generally, open lines every night of the week. Again, Richard, call back uh, probably Monday night would be the next night that we're actually live. Thanks for the call, Richard. Again, Thank we you. will be at Somalia Fest in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire over the weekend. That's it for tonight, but we are always online at freetalklive.com. If you want to move to the free state and you're looking for some real estate, well, I know a guy who's really great. It's the Realtor Mark Warden. Looking for a great real estate investment? Consider New Hampshire, which is ground zero for the Liberty Movement. Your first call should be to Mark Warden from Porcupine Real Estate. He's more than just a real estate agent. He's your New Hampshire concierge. Where are the best places to live? Do you want farms, city, the burbs, or forest? Do you want a duplex or multifamily building so that renters pay your mortgage? There are homes in all price ranges in New Hampshire, and Mark can help with financing, too. Invest in Liberty and property. Mark Warden can help. Porcupine Real Estate dot com